Transform Church presents a life-giving message to encourage you to live your life in the power and grace of Jesus Christ. We believe this message will challenge and empower you to walk in faith and courage. Now let's get into the Word. And today we're going to learn to be content. Learning to be content. So open up your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Philippians, chapter number 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to bound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want you to turn to someone and say, I can do all things through Christ. Find someone and say, I can do all things through Christ. Amen. Let's pray before we sit. Father, Lord God, we thank you this morning. We honor you and we bless you. We ask you, Lord God, that you continue to let your word have free course. Touch every heart. Renew our spirits. Reinvigorate us this morning. And let your light continue to illuminate our heart. Because we long for your presence. We long for your word. And we long that you will come close and be constantly in our lives. We thank you. Guide us. Saturate us. Lead us by your word. As we give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name. So Paul here, writing to the church at Philippines, or Philippi, really begins to talk about the greatness of the church. He's really writing to commend the church. He's talking about a church that has really been on fire for God. And so he's concluding here in chapter number four, and if you read later on, he talks about the many things that they've done for him. But at this particular point, he begins to rejoice with the knowledge of what these people, the church, have done. And he concludes that statement by saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, the key to that verse is one little word. You know what it is? Through. Because if you just say, I can do all things... You say, yeah, well, that's great. I can do all things. But sometimes human energy runs out, right? You're tired, right? You want to give up. You want to throw in the towel. Then you can't do all things. But the word through really brings light to what he's saying. Because he's not saying I can do this by myself. I can do it in my own flesh. I can do it in my own ability. I can do it my, my human intention. Or I can do it with my human invention. No, he's not saying any of those things. He's saying, I can do all things through Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? That is amazing. Because that one word through changes the entire perspective of the verse. Because if you just say, I can do, puts emphasis on me. But if you say, I can do all things through Jesus Christ, it puts emphasis on Jesus. Because we're able to do greater things Through Jesus Christ. He's able to help us. He's able to guide us. He's able 
to lead us through the difficult times of our life because he cares for us. You're not living this life on your own. You have a constant friend and companion and one that sticks closer than a brother, Jesus Christ. Paul begins now and he's been on this missionary journey. He's been walking around. He's been go traveling around, really talking about the love of God. And so he's gone to various places and begin to plant churches and instructed people and guided people. And so, as you can imagine, going about in that particular time, almost 2,000 years ago, would have been difficult. They didn't have modern transportation. You know, they couldn't hop on a plane and fly over. They couldn't jump in a car and drive over. They'd have to try and travel by horse or cart or walk or whatever those things. And there's bandits on the road and thieves and robbers. And people would, you know, assault them and steal from them and sometimes kill them. So it was a dangerous journey. And Paul often found himself in difficult circumstances. Because he realized that he's been called for a purpose. He's not doing it because he wants to. He's doing it because God had implanted this vision and this purpose in his life and he didn't want to neglect the calling of God. So he didn't consider the circumstances, he considered the calling. Important fact. We often consider the circumstances and not the calling. But Paul always considered the calling and not the circumstances. And therefore he never let the circumstances hinder the calling. Right? He never let the circumstances hinder his calling. But he's been through difficult times. He's had, you know, he's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been hungry. He's been thirsty. He's not had the comfort of a warm bed. He's not had any of these comforts that most people take for granted. But he's saying this important thing. He says, hey guys, look. I'm not asking for anything. Because I need it. He says, I've learned in every circumstance that I find myself in to be content. What an amazing statement. To be content. That's not a word that's familiar in our modern vernacular, is it? It's not something we talk about a lot. No one goes around saying, when he says, how are you? Well, I'm tired. I have bills. I'm stressed. Those words come out of my mouth too, so I'm not... Judging you. You know, but no one says, well, I'm content. You know, I might not have everything, but I'm content. I'm enjoying what the Lord has blessed me with. You see, that word is not in our vocabulary. In fact, the world teaches us not to be content. All the advertising, everything focused around us, continually points us for us to be discontent. The world wants you to be discontent. You know why? Because you want something more. You have a great phone. But then there's a better one coming out. You want that phone. Why? Not because yours is broken or doesn't work. But because that one has something this one does not. So they create a discontent in you by giving you, wow, look at this feature and look at that. And you're like, wow, I really want that. Do you need that? No. Will your life change for better? Probably not. Will some miraculous thing happen and suddenly you'll be the happiest person on the face of the earth because you have a new device? No. But we don't. We're not happy. We have it. It's momentary happiness. But then there's another one coming out next year. 
guess you're discontent again. You know, and so the world caters for discontentment. You have a house. It's a great house. But someone else has a better house. And now you feel that you need to have something better. We have stuff. You know, and the other day I went into the garage. And we have garages and we have rooms that aren't lived in but have stuff in it. My garage is filled with stuff. I can't pack my car in there because it has stuff. What is the stuff? I have no idea. I have stuff in there that is full of boxes that I can't even move around. And we can't live because there's things we can't do because now that room has to be closed, you can't use it. The car can be parked in the garage because it's full of stuff and there's just things everywhere. It's just stuff. Has the stuff made us happier? No. Let's be honest now. We might have got that big screen TV and put the other one in the garage. Said, well, we'll use it later. And we're like, wow, this is awesome. New features, Blu-ray, you know, Netflix, all of that awesome things. And then all of a sudden, you know, they launched some other thing. And you're like, well, high definition Blu-ray, UVD TV. And you're like... I want that. And the amazing stuff that you just got is not amazing anymore. And so you're living in this place where you're constantly discontent. We have money in the bank, but that new car costs this much. So, well, there's nothing wrong with the old car, but we need a new one. So we become discontent. You know, And so when, if we are honest with ourselves, when have we found ourselves content? When are we happy? You know, and we have happiness, but happiness is not really from God because happiness is a temporary feeling of elation. You get something new, you're happy. But then that same thing that made you happy two weeks, three weeks, a week down the road is not happy anymore. You know, You don't have a job, you pray to God, God, give me a new job. You get a new job, you're ecstatic. Thank you, Lord, you're celebrating praise reports out through the roof about a new job. Two months down the road, you're like, I hate this job. It's the worst job ever. But if you were to lose that job, you'd be thinking, hey, it's not too bad. And we live in this place of constantly being discontent. But Paul gives us something amazing insight. And he says, you know, we have so many things in our life that can make us feel like we have everything. But we don't feel like we have everything. We feel like we need more to make us somehow happier. And those things that we attach to ourselves don't always or never do, in fact, make us happier. They give us a temporary feeling, but then we are unhappy again because there's something new around the corner. I mean, if we are to be really honest, all the things that we have in our life, the devices, the cars, the houses, the things, have not really given us happiness and joy. And here's the point. You think you bought all that stuff and you own it. But that's not necessarily true. You don't own the stuff. The stuff owns you. 
Because you have to work for it. You have to go to work, earn money to pay it off. And so you're obligated to it. You brought it into your life because you thought it would be a blessing, but it didn't turn out that way. Now you're under crippling debt. You're struggling. You're going through stress. You're going through drama because you brought more stuff into your life. Now Paul gives us the secret. He says this. I know I've learned, I've learned to be content. Now, was Paul always that way? No, he wasn't. But he says here, he learned to be content. I know there's certain things that we need that are necessary in our life. And I'm, I'm not here to tell you, you don't need this and you don't need that. We're not going to go to your house and have a house inspection and for us to tell you, well, do you really need that? You know, you know what you need and you know what you want. God knows the same thing you do. You don't need anyone to come and tell you that. You know that yourself. But Paul, in his letter here, he says, I've learned to be content in all things. I've been through stuff. And I've had nothing, and I've been content. I've had everything, and I've been content. I was hungry, and I was content. I've been stuffed, and I'm content. I've content in what I've had or whether I've not. Don't let possessions determine your worth. You see, and here's the secret. The secret is the stuff doesn't give you worth. It's the realization of who you are that brings worth into your life. You don't add stuff to yourself and make yourself more greater in stature because you have a bigger car or a bigger house or a bigger bank account or all this stuff. That doesn't give you worth. Paul says, none of that stuff. I've realized that. He was rich. He was on the way to be a high priest. He had all this stuff going on in his life. But he says, that none of that stuff gave me worth. It's when I came to the realization that God loves me, that I'm a child of God. And whether I have the stuff or don't have the stuff, God still loves me. And so therefore, it's not the possessions that give me worth. It's the realization of who I am in Jesus Christ that makes me valuable. I'm valuable because God sees value in me. He paid a price for my life. And that's what makes me valuable. So when I have stuff, I'm content in the realization God loves me. When all that stuff is gone, I'm still content because God isn't looking for the stuff around me. He's looking for me. So I'm content. I know the stuff comes and the stuff goes. We've all been through financial difficulties. And we've all come out of financial difficulties. But God has been faithful through it. You know? Do you know who you are? Because that's what brings contentment. You are a child of God. That's what's significant. It's not because you have a better job or money or better house. None of these things makes you significant. That's what the world believes. That's their measuring stick, isn't it? Well, I'm a CEO, so that means I'm better than the guy who's working for me. I have two cars and in my garage. That makes me better. I have a Lamborghini. While well, I have two Lamborghinis. So I must be better than you. I have a 10-bedroom mansion. Well, 
I'm building a 12-bedroom mansion. That makes me more important. Well, my bank account says that I have $3.5 billion. That'd be nice, eh? You're like, oh yeah, I wish I had that. But here's the deal. When God comes out to check his people, he doesn't go a list through a list of criteria. He goes, well, all right, million dollars in the bank account, that's good. Three-car garage, hmm. Five-bedroom house, all right. Two Lamborghinis parked in the back. <laughs> all right, I'm going to sit with you. Because that guy down the street who's living in a one-bedroom house with five kids, he doesn't have anything, so I'm not going to pay him attention. I'm just going to come to this guy because he has everything. Is that what God does? And so we do that. We look at other people. We look at things around us, and we measure it. That's what the world tells you how to live your life because it's telling you you're not worth anything until you have something. You have to have something to be worth something. And I'm not against having, you having property. I'm not against you having possessions. All those things come with the grace of God and the blessing of God. But when you look to the things and not to God, that's when you run off the tracks. God loves you whether you have something or don't have anything. God will bless you whether you have nothing or you have a million dollars. God's going to bless you and heal you and restore you and love you and pour out his grace over your life whether you have an abundance of things or you have nothing. And therefore Paul says, whatever circumstance I find myself in, I've come to the realization, I've learned this fact that God loves me. Not because of the stuff but because he just loves me for who I am. None of the stuff I add to my life makes God love me more. He still loves me. Contentment. Let's be content with what we have. And if God gives us the ability to have more, we thank him and be content in it too. So Paul is saying, look, I've had everything and I have nothing, and I'm content. I've had lots of food, and I've been hungry for days, but I'm content. So whether you don't have, or you do have, let your contentment be in God, and not in things. My possessions don't determine my worth. My finances don't determine my giving. My service is not based on my abilities, but on God's love for me. So I serve not because I think I'm better, but because I know God wants to work through my life. And he wants to work through your life. And he wants to work through your life. And he's given you talents and abilities. And he wants to bless you. And he wants to bless others through you. So you don't stop because you don't think I have the ability to do it. So I, I don't think I'm capable. I don't think I'm able to. So I'm not going to. Because Paul contradicts that. Because see, that's human philosophy. Human philosophy says, well, if you're able to and you're skilled enough and you have knowledge enough, then you can do something. But God says, I can do, Paul quotes it, he says, I can do all things, not in my own ability, but through Jesus Christ. I don't know how to do everything, but God does. I don't know how to be loving to everyone, and that's the truth, but God does. 
I don't know how to forgive everyone because I've been hurt and I've been abused and I've been left for dead and, and people have backstabbed me and I can't love that person because they did me bad. But you know what? God teaches me how to love them in spite of what they've done. So therefore, I can do all things through Jesus Christ. I don't have to have human feelings get in the way and then lose what I'm supposed to be. I can do all things. Through Jesus Christ. And so Paul contradicts this human philosophy. Because that's where it came from. Well, you need to know how to do this. And then maybe we'll consider whether you can do it or not. And we bring that into the church and say, well, I can't serve in this capacity. I can't serve in the cafe because I don't know how to make coffee. Or I can't serve on the welcome team because I don't know how to smile and greet people. I can't serve as an usher because I don't know where to sit people. I can't serve as you know, cleaning because I've never used a vacuum. And so, I can't, I can't, I can't. And says, will you? I can't. Paul doesn't say, I can't. He says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ. So, our human ability is not a stopping block to us serving. We can't say we can't. When Jesus Christ says that we can do all things through him. You know, if we had that philosophy, we said we can do all things through Jesus Christ. Every mission will be fulfilled. Every cause will be done. Every project will be completed. Because every time we look at something that is, seems insurmountable, we think it's impossible. When it looks too hard, we give up. When it looks difficult, we say, well, we're not, why, why even try? We're not going to achieve anything. So let's just give up. You know, when crisis comes in your life, whether it's a job, whether it looks like an impossible situation, whether bills are piling up, when crisis comes in our life, we have two opportunities or two decisions. That's it. We can either grow or we can move back. See, when crisis comes, most people fall back to familiarity. They fall into the routine what they did before. And let's use Peter as an example. Peter was the great apostle of God. He was the one that Christ said upon this rock and he gave him this knowledge of the revelation of the church that he's going to build this church on the revelation. And he stands up and he says, I'm going to stay with you, Jesus, no matter what happens. But then when push came to shove, he ran away. That was his human weakness. He was weak. He couldn't do all things. He felt inadequate in his own human ability. But then you see a transformed Peter after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he realized that it doesn't matter what happened to him. He could achieve all things through Christ. But Peter, when he betrayed Christ, he went back to the familiar, didn't he? He went back to fishing. Because that's what he used, was used to. You know, God had called him out of that. He said, you're going to be fishers of men. But he said, no, no, I can't. I'm just going to be fishers of fish. Go back to fishing, catching some trout, you know, throwing out the net, getting some mackerel, whatever it is that he caught. That's what he was familiar with. And he goes back. But here's the important thing. Crisis is an opportunity for growth. Strong people, mentally strong people have always realized this. Because they don't see the crisis as disaster, 
they see the crisis as an opportunity to push even further. Most people give up because you know why? They don't realize who they are and they don't have sowed into themselves. They don't believe in themselves. People who have achieved something have believed in themselves in spite of what everyone around us, around them, have said that they can't do. They've given themselves to the cause. And they've used that crisis to move forward. Our strength and our growth doesn't come just from us walking down the road. We grow when we hit crisis. Things that look impossible, we need to push forward. Crisis, when it comes in your life, looks impossible, but it's a platform for the supernatural. It's a platform for growth. So don't let the weight push you back. Push back the weight, and you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. God gives us opportunity to sow into his vision. Look at what Paul says, and I will close off with this. He says this. You Philippians, we well know. He continues a little further. This is in verse 15. Be sure I'll never forget it. That when I was first in, Macedo- in the Macedonian province, venturing out with the gospel or the message, not one church helped me out in giving and taking part of this work except you. You were the one, the only one. Even when I was at Thessalonica, you helped out. And not only once, but twice. Now, he says, I'm not looking for handouts. But I do want to experience the, I want, I want, but I do want you to experience the blessing that comes from generosity. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not looking for what you give me. That is not my aim. Guys, I'm not looking for the gift. I'm not looking for what you can hand out. I'm looking for your heart. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, when you give... God is not looking at your gift. He's looking at the heart behind the gift. And it's an opportunity God gives us to sow into a promise that God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out into our lives. But if we constrain our purse rings, if we hold the wallet tight, there will be no increase into our life because God has seen our heart. And that's what Paul is saying, even at the beginning, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, this is in verse 10, that now at last you care for me and your care flourish. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. You know what that means? You know there was a need. You know there was things that were going on. You know that God promised me something. But there was no forum for you to give into. There was no opportunity for you to sow into a promise. But now I'm telling you, he says, there is an opportunity. The opportunity is that I've been in lack. I'm not looking for what I need. I've learned to be content. So it's not that I'm looking for your gifts. I'm not looking for what you've provided for me. That's not what it is, church. That's what he's saying. That's not what it is. I'm looking because I want you to experience the blessing, the joy, the outpouring of God's goodness when you give. They were content with what they had and they still had enough to bless Paul. Contentment, church, it doesn't come from our bank account. It doesn't come from the stuff we have. 
It comes from the realization of who we are in God. And that he is our provider. And that he is our healer. That he is the restorer and the giver of life. So whatever circumstance Paul says, I've learned, I found myself in, I've learned. I've learned to lean on the grace of God. I've learned to lean on his goodness. I've learned to lean on his provision. He says, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Not mine, but his. Not my abilities, but mine through Jesus Christ. It's not what I can do, but what God is going to do through us. Thank you for listening. We encourage you to use what you have heard to live a blessed life. For more resources, messages, and information, please visit our website at transformchurch.org.au. God bless you.